0: This is the No-Nonsense Spirituality Podcast. Here we utilize the best tools from science, the wisdom housed in religion, and the connectedness of mysticism for building a beautiful, flourishing life. No nonsense required. Hello, this is Brittany Hartley. By way of introduction, since this is my very first podcast, other than from Invitation, I have a master's degree in the future of American religion. I dance with Sufis, I meditate with Buddhists, I've studied biblical history with renowned scholars, I've taught history, I've written on Mormonism, and I discuss philosophy with atheists. I've been all over the map pondering what it means to be human for my entire life. And I'm grateful for Bill Reel, my dear friend, who has encouraged me and given me a platform for my voice. And so what I'd like to do today... Uh, is share kind of a bird's eye view of what the state of the spiritual world is. So a state of the union, so to speak for this unique time period. So there are, periods of drastic transition in history where it can be important to step back and see what's going on. So for example, after Martin Luther nailed his thesis to the wall with all of his protests about the Catholic Church, it's another 100 years before Lutheranism is allowed as a state religion and Protestantism takes form. And between these two is a period of transition where people are dissatisfied with the Catholic Church, but nothing had quite yet taken its place. Uh, In China, before the common era, there was an emphasis in the Zhu dynasty about the divine and especially the ruling class having a mandate from heaven. And as a counterbalance, Confucius develops a philosophy on what responsibilities people have toward one another in order to build a functional society. Rome falls and is replaced by Christianity. Christianity in Europe goes on the decline and is replaced by nationalism. Jews transition from polytheism to monotheism. These are big transitions in history. Sometimes historical transitions are positive. When England faces pressure, it produces the Magna Carta, and slowly over time, they move power from the few to the many. And sometimes things swing like a pendulum. We see this, for example, when the Industrial Revolution became so focused on industry that it gave birth to the period after called Romanticism, where we move from caring too little about human emotion to only writing romantic poetry and doing nothing else. Or the French Revolution, where power swings between tyranny and anarchy and just untold bloodshed. So we are right now in another period of transition. With the internet, we've never had such a big gap between the world that children are living in, and the world that their grandparents lived in. It will be recorded in history as one of the greatest transitions of all time. Now, in the spiritual world, uh, in the West especially, people are leaving churches, and the nuns who report on religious surveys that they are not associated with any religion is the fastest growing group. And so, as a reaction to people being dissatisfied with organized religion, but nothing else has really taken its place yet. I see three kind of movements happening right now. So first there is a reaction and it's kind of almost a whiplash towards fundamentalism. So when we start to feel very chaotic Uh, personally, on an individual basis, we have a tendency as human beings to cling back to the last time we felt order. And it is very important for children, for example, to go out into the world and return home to safety, maybe even with milk and cookies. We do this also as societies. So right now, you know, there's, we're part of this postmodern movement, Uh, That tells us that we're not really interacting with ultimate reality, that our language and our biases are just creating it. And we have gender and relationship norms that are changing drastically from our grandparents' generation. And the internet has just changed how we interact with the world and how big the world now feels. Less than 4% of teens today are biblically literate in any way. The job market is markedly different. You can't just expect to graduate college and get a job. And so we can all sense the ground shifting under our feet. And so one way to react to this shifting is to go back and cling to order. So we see this with Make America Great Again we're returning to something. We also see this with various forms of fundamentalism with churches across the nation saying a similar message. The world is chaotic, but here the story is simple and there is safety in the structures of the the past we must return to. Christians prepare for Jesus with end-of-the-world scenarios. Muslims try to hasten the theocracies of Islam. Mormons become almost solely obsessed with the idea of the nuclear family and a resistance to the broadening definitions of family. And this reaction happens every time there's a fundamental shift happening in history, a call to return to safety. And the fundamental wings of every church, because every church has one, are particularly loud during this time with fear-based and obedience-based messages. And underneath this reaction is a really psychologically understandable notion that when things get unsettled, we return to what feels safe, even when it means clinging onto truths that simply cannot hold up to modern scrutiny. It's the same psychological reaction as a 35-year-old still living with his mother in the basement with milk and cookies after every afternoon for the sole reason that it feels comfortable here and not comfortable out there. In practical terms, this means one of two things, either retreating to the religion of your heritage, but in a way that it's really clinging to security and not allowing yourself to doubt or think or question or discuss or research. Or it can also show up when people leave one dogmatic structure that has failed them, and then they throw themselves into another. So people switch religions and become militant in their new religion or political party or cult. And It's like, rather than expand to be able to hold a little bit more chaos, it's just clinging to a false sense of security or switching from security to security. Um, In Mormonism, which would be my... Religious heritage, this would be a return to Mormon fundamentalism and us them insular kind of thinking. Or uh, as Mormonism begins to crumble in its truth claims, switching over to a similar brand of Christianity that offers the same kind of dogmatic thinking but under a different guise. So this is not the best option for humanity now more than ever. In times past, perhaps it was necessary for tribal survival to create a shared story. But when those shared stories are now the reason why we can't solve real world problems, it's time to take a step back. So another option that we are seeing in this transition time is the turn towards atheism and secularism. So people turn away from God and church, which is fairly easy to do given the damning evidence of all the evil that has been done in God's name, or the 4,000 gods from which to choose from today, or... Just the tendency of humans to be superstitious, which we are because we're pattern seeking, or the 100,000 years of human existence, mostly, you know, just latent with suffering in which heaven seems to be quiet except for one Stone Age people in the Middle East. So pick your argument, whatever the argument is. Here we find a scientific but also condescending worldview where people become high off their own superiority and compared to the so-called mythologies of common people. So the problem is atheism is still quite young and does not easily offer the same tools that religions have provided humans for thousands of years. There are no rituals. Atheists may report that they feel awe when looking at the stars but there's no day on the calendar set aside for that purpose. Atheists may say they can forgive people, but there's no communal day of forgiveness like that in the Jewish community. No shared way to handle bodies and funerals after death. No shared stories or books that can build meaningful communities. No gathering places or times to sing. Even Richard Dawkins, the most renowned atheist, sings Christmas carols at Christmas time because there's just no good alternative for the unbeliever. One may not believe in priesthoods or miracles, but not having friends and family gather and share hopes or offer their healing touch when you are sick places atheists at a, dif- at a disadvantage. There are reasons why religious tribes survived when non-religious tribes didn't. And if all that atheism has to offer, especially the youth, uh, in terms of a full and meaningful life is capitalism, we have to ask whether it's truly better for humanity. So while believers always have to resist the temptation towards dogmatism, on the other end of the spectrum, atheism has to be aware of the damaging effects of nihilism. And nihilism is this belief that nothing matters and life has no inherent meaning and I don't have free will, so what? What? how can you even construct good and evil? It's this overwhelming fear feeling that few people face, which is staring at the abyss of existence just naked, not knowing how or why we came to be. And it may not cause the dogmatic crusades of religion, but it has the opposite problem. People showing up at therapist's doors with no reason to live, no connection to their deepest self, no community, no connection to their humanity, and at the worst end, existential depression and suicide. We're even seeing in Generation Z a kind of spiritual crisis on its way where kids are not interested in sitting in a pew, but they report being anxious, not knowing who they are, not knowing how to create morality out of nothing, not knowing how to create a meaningful life and end up, they end up with a kind of depression that feeds addiction, that feeds depression. And while dogmatism can be more dangerous in terms of large-scale violence of religious fanaticism... Nihilism is more painful to live with as an individual. It's the exact opposite of fanaticism, which is just indifference. And a world of addicted indifference with nothing except messages from capitalism is not much better than a world on fire through religion. And this is not the best option for humanity. So lastly, what I'm seeing again with this bird's eye view of the spiritual and religious world is a turn towards the mystical, and I see two problems with this community. One problem is that it becomes what you would call woo-woo, mumbo-jumbo very fast. So there's a difference, for example, between doing a tarot reading with a teacher for self-exploration And believing that the universe spun in such a way that you could only get that self-exploration with that one card you picked. So in the first, the tarot is being used as a tool. And I've worked with this tool before. It can be an incredibly meaningful experience, even often pictures and symbolism. Uh, as we learned from Carl Jung, are the best way for our subconscious to tell us something that we've been ignoring. This is why archetypes are so powerful. So, I have a friend who does tarot readings, and she gives me a card with a hangman on it and asks me, What inside me is ready to die so that something else may come to life? That's a powerful question. That symbolism of a, a phoenix or life after death or seasons or something that has to die in order that something else may come to life. We see this in every religion. It's beautiful imagery to work with to allow your subconscious to meet that question. But the way that it can be interpreted is that the universe spun and was designed in such a way that I got that card and no other card, which is a metaphysical claim about the nature of reality. And this is where mysticism falls short. If you go into any new age shop with mysticism or metaphysics in the title or crystals in the logo, you'll find that the actual science is really all over the place. So the tools of self-discovery literally become inaccessible when you try to give an astronomer the path of astrology, where, where the science just gets really fuzzy at best. So the problem with that is that if mysticism doesn't have any grounding in ultimate reality and where you just have complete free reign to follow your feelings, it's just bound to go awry. And I don't say that because I don't like mysticism. I bathe in the mystic traditions as often as I can. The wisdom traditions are just this treasure trove of human wisdom. But we have to have the intellectual humility to admit to ourselves that when we as humans only go off of what we feel, we are often wrong or misguided most of our ideas about the world most of the time have just been wrong modern new age spirituality has to attach itself to something firmer than our emotions because even though emotions can give us a lot of information they can also be wrong when it comes to reality there's simply no staying power if the crystal align your chakra tarot energy work Uh, these are kind of these buzzwords, kind of tools of spirituality don't attach themselves to something a little bit more grounded, especially in areas where there are claims about ultimate reality being made. As we become more scientific, we won't be able to access those tools if they're simply too out there in order for us to access, too disconnected from science. So my second issue that I have with mysticism, modern mysticism, new age mysticism, is that you can cherry pick the things that are really great about spirituality and never have to wrestle with your shadow side. And this is where religion has an advantage. In every religion, you'll have at least multiple opportunities for deep reflection and discussion about the darker side of humanity, the darker side of each of us, the part of you that would not only be uh, a Nazi prison guard, but would enjoy it. No, the Bible has the Sermon on the Mount, but it also has incest and rape and slavery and genital mutilation and genocide and murder. You'll hear about Cain and Abel, or it's very common for prophets and gods to meet the devil somewhere on their journey. Christ meets the devil. Buddha meets a kind of devil. Even in stories... Uh, modern stories is a good guy doesn 't triumph and until he meets the final boss you know the f- the deepest expression of evil, so with new age spirituality, you never have to take that journey, so you can just cherry pick and claim to have a higher energy or raised consciousness, but it 's a shallow pool that doesn 't have enough uh, enough depth behind it to really be a catalyst for deep transformation so these are the three directions i 'm seeing as we are encountering a period of transition. So first, there is the very loud cry and call to a return to safety from fundamentalist religion. Second, there's a rejection of religion. So we have a growing atheist agnostic nuns population, but it's immature and lacking in a lot of really helpful tools for navigating your life and building a good life and being happy. And then we have this rejection of both science and religion towards new age mysticism, which can get sometimes too woo-woo and not grounded in re- reality enough uh, in order to kind of stay as a movement decade after decade, or it could be too surface level. And this is where we are. These are the three movements that, that we're seeing. So now what I advocate for and what is happening, but very slowly, And I would say still fairly small scale is imagining that these three reactions are a Venn diagram of sorts. And the sweet spot is in the middle of the three in the middle of the three. If you can get there is the place where you can loosely take in all the wisdom housed in religion, all the science of well-being and neuroscience and evolution, and all the openness to the mysteries and joys of life that we find in mystic traditions. That's the sweet spot. And one of the lessons that took me a long time to learn was that a lot of people put religion and atheism on two different ends of a spectrum. And what I have found is that it's much more like a circle. These lines meet. Bad religion and bad science are both really dogmatic ways of living. Militant atheism has its own blind spots, its own profits, its own things that you can and can't say, just like high-demand religions. But nuanced religions at its best, and spiritual atheism at its best, there is very little difference between these two. Maybe just a sliver or a hair and some semantics between them. And that took me a really long time to see after faith deconstruction. I was listening to a podcast, this would be years ago now, where atheists were talking about panpsychism, which is a philosophy that says that consciousness is an essential part of the universe, and it goes all the way down to the smallest cells even, and it sounded exactly familiar to conversations about panpsychism that were being discussed at the highest levels of philosophy in Mormonism, you know, these, these conferences with, with philosophers who engage with Mormonism, and what shocked me as I was listening is that these two groups of people, Mormons and atheists, are on as far as you could go opposite ends of the spectrum, okay, Mormonism is a high-demand religion. Atheism would reject all of its claims. You could not find two groups of people that are more dissimilar. But the most humble atheists who get really into discussions about consciousness and spirituality and mystery and the good life and the most educated and philosophical and deconstructed Mormons were essentially having the same conversation, close enough that you could switch uh, the conversation f- you could take it out of the atheist room and put it in the Mormon room and there and it would be virtually the same conversation and I think that the how that happens is that even though they entered that di- Venn diagram from different places, they had compensated for those weaknesses and moved towards the middle, the middle where there is both spirituality and openness, mystery and also science rituals or connection to ancestry and also deconstruction. It's the place that is big enough to hold all of it and really give you all the tools available for building your good life. So what I do now as a spiritual director, and I'm a spiritual director with the Center for Non-Religious Spirituality, is individually really try to continually utilize the tools from science, religion, and mysticism, while also being aware of each of the weaknesses of these approaches. And with others, when I meet them where they are, and I can do that with intellectual honesty. So if you find a lot of meaning and value in your religious tradition, I have no reason to take that from anyone, but I can guarantee you that there's some religious baggage that has crept into your life that you will have to separate out in order to really flourish in your life. If you have left organized religion, I think that's great. I wouldn't convince you to go back, but I can guarantee you there are some holes that it left behind. Maybe you don't have a tribe. You don't know how to give your kids a moral education. You don't know how to make sense of ethics anymore. You don't have a way to mark transitions such as birth, life, death, marriage, coming of age. Or maybe you can't grasp the meaning and purpose of life outside this cozy story about how the universe was designed for you that you left behind. And if you tend towards mysticism, I can guarantee that there are areas where the line between bias and inspiration are blurred. Or perhaps there are places where you're using spirituality really as a security blanket of unicorns and rainbows and never having to do deep, painful, awful work. Because I believe that the Venn diagram of the free is human well-being, and human well-being is high on my list of values and the center of my ethics, it allows me to do work from any of these directions towards the same goal. This to me is so much more productive than arguing whether or not God exists and what God must or must not be doing or thinking. To me, that's interesting. I can have those discussions all day, but it's not as productive of a place to start when we're talking about human happiness. Because to be honest, I have an almost doctorate degree in theology, and I know less about God than when I started. Throughout human history, our ideas about how God and ultimate reality interact were just historically really bad at this question. So I found it more helpful not to throw away the god question but maybe put it to the side in favor of human well-being because if there is no god human being human well-being is all that we have to shoot for and if there is a god and that god is worthy of worship then it would want for humans to live happy and meaningful lives more than it would want to be known perfectly and certainly more than it would want religious holy wars which is what religion turns into So this is just like you would do with a good personal trainer. They would look at where you lean towards, where your strengths are, and help you take baby steps towards better overall health. But I think this work is so much more important because it gets down to the root of who you are, your purpose in life how you approach mortality, what is ultimately most meaningful for you, making sense of suffering, and just zeroing in on not just living with good health, but living for a reason. Because despite physical trainers getting more followers on Instagram, if I had to choose between good health or a reason to live and meaning in my life, I'd choose the second. So let's talk about people providing solutions in this space. There's a lot of words that people are using as we are recognizing that organized religion isn't doing it for us, but secularism is also lacking. So there are books like Urban Monk, Rational Mysticism, Spiritual Atheist, etc. that make space for wisdom traditions and modern science. We have TED Talks called Atheism 2.0 from Alain de Botton telling us how we have to learn from religion to make secularism better. We have people like John Shelby Spong, who recently passed away. He was a bishop in the Episcopalian Church who really helped Christianity to be a pathway to walk into mystery rather than the solid dogmatic political force that it is. Or people like Richard Rohr, who are bringing out the best of religion and shunning the worst of it. Uh, We have people like Sam Harris who are talking to leaders in spirituality and meditation without letting go of his scientific credentials as a neuroscientist. This is where the magic is happening. Some call it rational mystic or religious humanist or nuanced religion or spiritual atheist. But it all ends up in the same place, a place that is open enough to balance out the extremes of dogmatism and nihilism, which are the two most dangerous forces on earth. So what we're trying to do here, it's almost like doing Christianity in reverse. So when Christianity began, it took and really adopted all the good things that paganism was already doing. It took the Christmas tree and it put an angel on top. And we just all kind of went with it because this Jesus character was so next level. He sat with the poor and sex workers and challenged authority. So what I advocate now is the reverse. We take now all the good things of religion in general and use it to make things better because the dogmatic, right-wing, militant, political, prepper, damning people to hell Christianity that is on offer is just not good enough. And it's certainly not a reflection of the radical revolutionary that was Jesus. So that's my... Spiritual State of the Union Address, I'm really excited to continue to do work in this space that no matter where we are, we can all individually and community move towards human flourishing. Religion is setting this world on fire. If you have a problem, religion is bound to make that problem worse. We must outgrow this impulse to be sure about things that we're not sure about, or to die because we are so sure about what's going to happen in the next life. Nihilism is also threatening the mental health of the atheist community, and especially the youth, who cannot believe in God, but also cannot make sense of how to live a good life without it. And spirituality must be more available to people who cannot stomach the scientific claims of New Age mysticism. If our human species is going to survive, this is a problem that we must solve, and we can certainly learn from one another without having to only use the tools from whatever club we are a part of. So that's my message. Thanks for listening. Please leave any comments or feedback. And again, thanks to Bill Real for hosting me here. Have a fantastic day, and I'll end with my final quote, which is my favorite quote. In the words of Victor Hugo, to love another person is to see the face of God. Thanks. This has been another no-nonsense podcast with Brittany Hartley. Be sure to visit nononsensespirituality.com for more resources, classes, coaching opportunities, and contact info.